I'm Afshan Ratansi and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the UAE. This week, St. Petersburg, Russia will play host to over 3,000 delegates from 60 nations coming together for the second Russia-Africa summit. But the geopolitical landscape has drastically changed since they last met in 2019. Washington's ongoing conflict with Russia playing out on Ukrainian soil has reshaped the world order and its ripples are being felt in Africa, whose leaders failed last month in their efforts to secure a peace plan to help understand Africa's shifting geopolitical landscape is a man known for his stand against corruption as former director of Kenya's anti-corruption commission. He is Professor Patrick Locke Otieno Lumumba, renowned lawyer and pan-Africanist. He joins me now from Nairobi. Thank you so much, uh, PLO. So away from mass protests in Nairobi, uh, let's just talk about this summit in St. Petersburg. Uh, after this Africa peace plan failed, can Africa and African leaders uh, end the war in Europe. Thank you very much for the invitation. And let me begin by saying that I'm one who is never too enthusiastic about African leaders being effectively summoned outside of the continent. I would myself prefer if African leaders are convened in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, or any other African... There is a BRIC summit coming up. ...the leaders of the countries come to Africa. I find the whole idea of African leaders going to Europe to be rather condescending. But that notwithstanding, I hold the view that Africa has a role to play in the affairs of the world. And that that must be done now because international political and economic architecture has been weighed against Africa. Remember that many international institutions, including the UN, were put together when the majority of African nations had not regained their independence. But one must be very circumspect because Many times, Africa is just but a pawn in the political chessboard of world powers, whether those powers are the United States of America, the European countries, or Russia, or China, or Turkey. And the time is now that Africa must smell the coffee and recognize that if you behave like grass, you'll be eaten by goats and cows. So, presumably, uh, Africa is going to uh, right now enter the world stage. It has done, arguably, for this uh, Ukraine war. I don't know whether you read about the reports when African leaders were stopped by security uh, on their plane in Poland and so on. I, I followed it very keenly, but if you listen to the reports that then emanated from Ukraine or even Poland or different parts of the world, the leaders who are led, if one may, by South Africa, Cyril Matamela Ramaphosa, were treated with contempt in many ways. And in my view, that in itself is indicative of the attitude of many countries in Europe, America, and even Russia, and even Ukraine. So that if one is candid, these early steps that are being made by Africa were not treated with the seriousness that, that they deserved. And it is incumbent upon Africa to now recognize that in order to be treated seriously, they have to re-engineer their approach 
In my view, when I listened to the African leaders, they were lukewarm, they were not enthusiastic, their steps were not firm, and, and they doubted themselves. I did not see the clarity and the passion and the confidence that they needed in order to be understood as they went into the arena. They were equivocating. And when you are taking positions such as that, you must be unequivocal. If you remember the early years of the non-aligned movement and positive neutrality, when you had Kwame Nkrumah or Gamal Abdel Nasser and people like Nehru and Tito at that time, the non-aligned movement was non-aligned, but positively neutral and spoke firmly. If they didn't like something, they said they did not like it. I want to hear from you about I want to hear from you about what happened to those leaders in a second but arguably you're wrong about Russia surely because you're named Lumumba after the great Patrice Lumumba and Russia Russia has a university had a new university named after the African leader Lumumba they they respected Africa that far I'm not wrong at all first of all remember that what you are talking about was the Soviet Union and I'm not one who is impressed merely because you've named a university after Patrice Emery Lumumba. We also know that Russia has participated, has been positive in certain areas, but definitely there are no angels. There are no angels. They have their geopolitical interest, which they want to perpetuate, and it cannot be denied. So I'm not going to use this forum to sanitize Russia. I'm going to speak candidly and firmly and how I feel and I'm not going to be dictated to, to appear to like Russia simply because you are based in Moscow. I'm not. I'm not we're not based in Moscow. We're based in Dubai. But then going back to your point about what happens to leaders, what happens to... ...into praising Russia, I will not. But I will what... speak the truth as I see it. Clearly. And what happens to leaders of uh, the non-aligned movement uh, as it is today, I mean, and you you say that the uh, Africa peace negotiating team for Ukraine could have displayed a little bit more confidence, a little bit more backbone. You're going to have to remind us about Bandung and uh, Sukarno in Indonesia and what happened to developing world leaders that showed the kind of backbone you now advocate historically. I know you're going to say that this time round, hopefully they won't all be assassinated by the CIA. Let us find, let us go back into history a little, because that is the time when the World War has just ended, India has regained her independence, and there is a bipolar world with the Soviet as a power and the United States as a power. And there are leaders of newly independent countries who are saying we don't want to be pulled into the arena and we don't want to be pawns in the political chessboard. And therefore, President Sukarno of Indonesia, Jawaharlal Nehru of India, Josip Broz Tito of Yugoslavia, Gamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt, and Kwame Nkrumah of Ghana take the view that we want to play a role which does not make us mere uh, pawns in this chessboard that is being played. And these were leaders who are visionary. These are leaders who are clear in what they wanted. The leaders who are in the forefront were undermined at every level. Sukarno was undermined, Nkrumah was overthrown, Gamal Abdel Nasser, you know, was all undermined, and uh, when he left office had been neutralized, and later, of course, we saw the emergence of Anwar al-Sadat. 
who was a lapdog. And Joseph Broz Tito did, of course, in the fullness of time, Tita much more to the Soviet Union. And we know what happened to him in terms of the economic circumstances of Yugoslavia. And uh, that is the situation in which the leaders found themselves. You had an active CIA, you had an active European, particularly the British, who are typically the lapdogs of the United States of America. The net effect, therefore, is that the non-aligned movement did not gain the traction that it wanted to gain. And the architecture of the world, particularly at the United Nations with these permanent members, also did undermine the non-aligned movement. And as we speak today, uh, the movement really is uh, in history alongside the spinning wheel. And when we see the reemergence of BRICS and countries coming together, it is in an attempt to rehash the non-aligned movement. But even then, in that particular architecture, you will find that countries such as China, Brazil, and India are in some silent competition to be the leaders of BRIC. And, and that is not uncommon. And it is in that context that we must understand the geopolitical realities of the world, that there are no good boys, there are no good Samaritans in this game. Everybody is playing with their cards under the table. And we must not be hoodwinked by these niceties where there is diplomatic speak. Arguably, there's no one under those illusions. The difference would be that this time around, rather than a non-aligned movement without nuclear weapons, non-aligned movement this time around, if it is indeed BRICS or the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, is that it's one with allies who are incredibly powerful with most of the world's population, but with the larger proportion of the nuclear weapons of the world as well. I just want to get on to the fact that you were talking about uh, the non-aligned movement in the first place. How controlled would you say the media is in London, EU capitals, Paris, Berlin, Rome, etc.? Because their media didn't carry much, really, about the Africa peace plan, plan for Ukraine, and they certainly uh, hardly talk uh, when they do sometimes mention reparations and slavery. They don't mention what you talk of uh, as regards uh, uh, CIA killing, mass killing and uh, undermining and elimination of uh, the most charismatic uh, leaders and movements of the developing world. You know, the lion does not report about the killing of the antelope. And, 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 and we've got to understand that the European powers, and when I talk about the European powers, I'm talking about the conceptual West. That would include Australia and Canada and, and, and of course, the United States of America. And in their unspoken and sometimes even in their unguarded moments, they are saying, what good can come out of Africa? And that is the attitude that they had even when they saw the African leaders going to Russia and to Ukraine. They said, let's wait and see what can they achieve. And, and this arrogance is what has defined Europe and America over the years. And this arrogance is informed by the fact that they dominate the economy of the world. It is informed by the fact that they dominate militarily. It is informed by the fact that they have lackeys and fifth columnists in many African countries. And for that reason, 
they still hold the view that they must rule the roost. And if they see any African country or any Afri group of African leaders trying to do something that is positive, they'll be undermined because they think that they are the Alpha and the Omega. And the reason is very simple. African countries are disunited and weak, and therefore the best they can do is to play a second fiddle to whoever is controlling their economies. And it is in that context, therefore, that you must see the attitude. And the Western media is arrogant and completely not independent. If you listen to media houses such as Radio Dechevel or BBC or, or France or all these other media, their story and narratives are one and the same. If anything is positive in Africa, ignore it. If it is negative, it is, if it is famine, if it is uh, a political discontent or elections, then report it so that the world may continue to believe that nothing can come out of the continent of Africa that is good. As they used to say in the Bible, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? Professor Pierre Lolamamba, I'll stop you there. More from the renowned lawyer and former director of Kenya's Anti-Corruption Commission after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Professor Piero Lamamba, renowned lawyer and former director of Kenya's Anti-Corruption Commission. You know, uh, Professor, we were talking in part one about um, the arrogance of Western uh, media and Western power. Uh, of course, one big uh, conversation in uh, NATO nation media is, uh, will Ramaphosa arrest Putin at the BRICS summit that's coming up? Now we know that Putin isn't going to go there. Do you think uh, someone like Ramaphosa would have come under a lot of pressure uh, as regards the ICC, which is a court that uh, I don't know what you think of, really. It uh, disproportionately uh, attacks uh, leaders of African countries at the expense of other countries' leaders. First of all, let me say that the ICC, the Statute of Rome, was well-intentioned, but it has demonstrated in the manner in which it has conducted itself that it's beholden to certain powers. I remember during the presidency of President uh, Trump, he as much as said that if they tried to do anything against Americans, then he would sanction the judges. And therefore, it is a court that has been intimidated, and it only bears... He actually said he'd military and it, militarily attack Holland, The Hague. Absolutely. So when, when, you, when you look at a court such as that, I think what it is good for now is a court that should be disbanded. And, and, and in my view, it is used as a political tool against weak countries, used very effectively against African leaders, and used now, as is clear in the case of Russia, by America and the Western countries to intimidate the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. And I have no doubt in my mind that President Ramaphosa may have, in very subtle ways, received representations that if... Uh, President Putin comes, uh, wants him to be arrested. And you can begin to imagine if President Putin were to be arrested in Russia, in, in, the, in South Africa, it would be a declaration of war. And South Africa perhaps does not want to see herself in such a situation. And President Putin maybe has told them, I'm going to spare you the pain.
and uh, possibly will not attend the BRICS meeting. But it is sad that international institutions which are created on the basis of sound principles are quickly manipulated and makes themselves susceptible to manipulation and creates an environment where countries which are arrogant traditionally, their DNA is that of arrogance, who want to choose who your friends are, who want to choose who your enemies are, and then they shout from the rooftops about democracy and about sovereignty. It saddens to no end. Well, there are supposed to be security agreements in addition to Shanghai Cooperation Organization commitments uh, that are going to be signed in Russia at the Russia-Africa summit this week between African nations. But in the face of African government cooperation with the IMF, what does it actually mean? I looked at the latest IMF statistics, Angola, three billion. They're African countries that owe this money to the IMF, one billion Cameroon. I'm just picking them off, you know, 13 billion to Egypt. I know Ukraine has just got 10 billion from the IMF, but African countries uh, in poverty, with poverty, are uh, owing a lot of money. South Africa, 3.1 billion owing to the IMF. Do you think they should default to the IMF if they're going to ever uh, get their countries' populations out of uh, poverty? I know there's poverty in the developed world as well, but in the developing world in Africa? You know, one of the things, and I think it is President Thomas Sankara who said it in 1987, that one of the things that we must do as African countries is to make a decision that the money is owed to IMF and the World Bank will not be repaid and are not repayable and is what is going to constitute the first installment for reparations for slavery and colonization. And I hold that view. I hold the view that African leaders should be bold enough to sit in Addis Ababa and make a resolution that now that we have seen the French, the Belgians, the Dutch, and the British, uh, albeit in, in a lukewarm manner, admit that they committed atrocities. We are unilaterally saying that what we now owe as loans constitute first installment payments, and then we go into other negotiations on the modern quantum of payment. If they did that and they tried to sanction us, they cannot sanction all the 54 countries. The only thing that they can threaten us is military action. But it would be something that ought to be done. But who has the courage? Who will bail the cut? That is the perennial question. It requires something that is unanimous, something that is united, so that you don't have a few people running away and saying we are not part of it. But that is the only way. Remember that the IMF was created in 1944, and its architecture and orientation was designed not meant, not was not designed for African countries. We are simply grafted into the IMF scheme. And the IMF, the way I look at the way it has behaved, is not a body that is a good Samaritan. They want to keep you in constant slavery. You can never run away. And the sooner African countries recognize that, the safer will be. Whenever IMF tells you that your economy is doing well, you must be very worried because it means the exact opposite. And some of the monies that are owed by African countries are monies that if countries look domestically can actually be raised. But for some reason, we don't want to use our internal resources, both human and natural. And we find ourselves beholden to this latter-day Shylock.
Well, people can watch our program on Thomas uh, Sankara on our Rumble channel. They, own, they owe, as of this month, around £282 million, pounds, uh, uh, sorry, uh, dollars, Burkina uh, Faso right now. Why do you think it is? I mean, obviously, the IMF deny, they say they're a benign institution, apart from Dominique Strauss-Kahn, the former managing director of the IMF, uh, found guilty of uh, rape, and, uh, of course, Christine Lagarde, found guilty of... Uh, negligent, sentenced to a year in prison, she didn't serve it. Uh, apart from that, the IMF say what you're saying is completely wrong. They try and help the world. What pressure is exerted on these African leaders uh, to uh, pay? I, I think I have Kenya's figure here somewhere. Um, you know, I mean, uh, they're free, they're democracies. What are these African countries got to worry about if they say, look, we can't be spending huge proportions of our federal budget on debt servicing? Most African leaders are thoroughly compromised. They run governments, some of which are kleptocratic governments, where corruption is rampant, where wastage is rampant, where they themselves are not beyond reproach at personal level. And it's therefore very easy to intimidate them by telling them, if you don't play ball, if you don't behave, we are going to expose you. And, and that is why you find individuals who are in positions of leadership in Africa lack the moral backbone. A few leaders who have had that kind of backbone have always resisted the IMF. You could see it in the early days of people like Julius Kambaraga Nyerere or Kenneth Kaunda, or even more recently, people like John Joseph Pombe Magufuli. They could stand up to the IMF because at a personal level, they held no accounts outside of the country. They did not have any skeletons worthy of note. And, and therefore, they had the moral courage. But the majority of the leaders we have now do not have the moral courage to, to, to confront the IMF. But do you think the Ukraine conflict is having these echoes through Africa? Because we saw how the um, American-backed uh, TPLF in uh, uh, Tigray were neutralized to an extent to be able to keep that Ethiopia-Eritrea uh, peace deal going. We've seen recently the breakthrough on the Gerd Dam between Ethiopia and Egypt. Do you think the United States is taking its eye off the ball to allow, that is, in effect, allowing Africa to, uh, certain parts of Africa to regroup and create peace and uh, uh, hopes for the future? You know, there is this old saying that you do not trust the Greeks even when they bear a gift. It could be a Trojan horse. And, and I, I'm never one who thinks that uh, Western countries and the United States of America, in its corporate sense, means well. If anything happens that is good, it is incidental rather than something yeah, that Yeah, I just meant they're taking their eye off the ball. Yes, they may. They, no, they never take the eye off the ball. Whatever you see them do is uh, tactical. If you see them moving out of something and you think that they have, uh, uh, their eye is not on the ball, it's not. Their eye is always on the ball and they may make certain tactical changes which you think are in your best interest, but they are traps and they are meant to fulfill a grander agenda and ultimately they will come for your jugular. Well, that's a, that's a bit worrying. I mean, they can't always, yeah. always win. I noticed this change in Kenya policy, where you're speaking to me from, because arguably the uh, Kenyan ambassador to the UN, Martin uh, uh, Kimani, he appeared like uh, CIA central casting on the vote uh, on Ukraine. And now 
then uh, Sergei Lavrov, Russian foreign minister, was uh, welcomed uh, uh, to Nairobi on the 29th of May. Emblematic of lots of African countries that are changing their views and realizing the uh, geopolitical balance is changing. They don't have to obey Washington the way they used to. You, I mean, you have a military base north of Nairobi, don't you? They're British soldiers occupying parts of your country. <laughs> that is very true. And, and, and that is the problem that we have in many African countries that many times, because of the presence of these military bases, it is as if we are simply uh, uh, backyards of our former colonizers because they train your soldiers, they have uh, boots on the ground in your territory. And uh, in many ways, they can interfere with your country militarily. They share intelligence with your country, with your intelligence institutions. But what one is beginning to see, not in a, a sustained manner, but at least at the level of rhetoric, African leaders and African countries are beginning to get irritated by this attitude of Western countries where they treat you as if you are little schoolboys and schoolgirls. And if you've recently listened recently to the South African foreign minister, uh, Pandora, she's been very candid and clear that you don't have and you should never try to choose friends for us and don't choose enemies for us. In this Ukrainian struggle, of this Russian-Ukrainian war, we choose to be uh, to be neutral. And the neutrality is informed by history, because at critical times in the history of the independent struggle, the Soviet Union, as it then was, supported many African countries, and those memories are very recent and that they were supporting African countries against the European powers who now are lecturing us on, on democracy and which themselves conducted and ran very undemocratic and humiliating institutions and systems in African countries. So the courage comes in, uh, in faces, but is not sustained. And remember, is that uh, what is happening is that African countries are still very much divided with the French still controlling their former colonies. The British also through the institution of the Commonwealth also does so. Uh, the Angola, the, rather the Portuguese to a lesser extent and America of course is the world hegemon which uh, dictates to many countries from Washington DC. And uh, the dollar is the instrument for that particular domination, and I think the other instrument that is used for domination is the military threat, that if you don't behave, we, we can uh, simply station a warship off the coast of Atlantic or, or India and send a few tomahawks and see how you will behave. So African countries find themselves in a situation that is very different, for example, from Russia, which has a nuclear, which is a nuclear power, or or Pakistan, or India, or China. African countries run ragtag armies in any event, which can be decimated in a few hours. Professor Pierre Lamamba, thank you. Thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back on Saturday with a brand new episode. Until then, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country and head to our channel, Going Underground TV, on normal.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Saturday.